0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 408th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that will keep the cardboard flowing through your door throughout 2024. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of magic, the gathering, finance, collection, management, and speculation. Welcome to the year 2024, and I am your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving in all the stuff that's gone on in these past two weeks. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG Finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some
0: of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering, single sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast throughout the this brand new year. Cliff, what is on our busy agenda this week after our one-week holiday?
1: Well, we're going to lead off with the metagame week in review. We've got an MTGO super qualifier and a modern challenge to talk about. Segment two is our top movers in paper for the last couple of weeks, followed by our top movers online. In spot four, we're going to talk about some cards to watch. You and I have some cards we think are good value. And then we're going to chat a little bit about the secret layer changes that they've decided to do. But mainly we're going to talk about our review of the last, uh, what we're, we're calling, it's not, our picks and review from June of 22 to July of 23. So we're going to... Put on our humble pants and take our humble brags, and we're going to see what the data tells us.
0: Yep, indeed we will. Kicking things off with segment one, the metagame week in review, taking a double dose look at the modern scene post-recent bannings. The modern challenge on December 29th of 2023 was won by Harden Scales, featuring three copies of Agatha's Soul Cauldron, now a... uh, Solid, a fairly firm staple in that archetype. Green, Black, Yawgmoth in second, also running four copies of Agatha. Amulet Titan in third and sixth, both running four copies of the One Ring and also in eighth, same deal. One Ring really bringing that back to the forefront. Black Red Scam continues to show up, just not in the same density that it used to in fourth place here and then blue black mill making a semi rare appearance in 5th and lotus field combo in 7th.
1: I do love a good lotus field combo. It looks so different than in Pioneer. You're playing all kinds of wacky stuff that you're just watching your opponent say like, "Wait, what did you re- Oh, okay, I guess it's over. All right, great. Let's play again."
0: Over in the Magic Online Super Qualifier on December 27th, this had almost 500 players involved. Shardless Rhinos took this whole one down. They also finished in 7th. You had Blue Red Murktide in 2nd, Amulet Titan again in 3rd and 5th, Black Green Yawgmoth in 4th and 8th, and Burn taking up a lonely slot in the top 8 in 6th place. So I think it's pretty fair to say that this meta has settled for the most part, pending the... Uh, release of new cards. And I would imagine the next really major shakeup we're going to get in the format is going to be modern horizons three this summer where who knows what they will throw at us.
1: Let's see. The last couple of modern Horizons sets have basically uh, destroyed rebuilt and destroyed the format. So yes, I would say that is a, a fairly accurate thing to say that uh, who the hell knows what's going to happen with this next one.
0: And I would guess that they, on the one hand would prefer to not have cards they need to ban. But that's kind of always the case, and we know that their primary motivation is to make money and sell cardboard. So I don't really trust them to avoid doing something on the level of the elementals.
1: So with something like this, they know they have to print stuff powerful enough to shake up modern, and they have to err on the side of being a little too powerful because then they can always come back and ban the card. If you make it underpowered, nobody's going to play it, nobody's going to bother buying it. Like, they hit it out of the park with these Evoke Elementals plus uh, Raghavan and what were the other big movers in Modern Horizons too? Murktide wasn't as big right off the bat, but those are the... Earth, Urza Saga, for instance. Urza Saga, Urza Saga. As so we're going to see... We're going to see all kinds of, Sentinel's more of a commander card. It's in some decks, but it's well, not... Well, no, like... I mean,
0: it's, it was a mainstay in Hammer Time for many months after its release.
1: That's true. So what are we going to see? Uh, probably stuff that we say, how did they only cost this at two mana? Like, what were they thinking? And, uh, you know, other stuff that threatens to blow up the format. And they will be very patient with it, and they won't ban anything right away unless some grievous mistake happened.
0: A Hogak-level mistake.
1: That would be accurate, yes. Which which is still entirely possible. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's possible.
0: Moving on over to the top paper movers. Jace, the perfected mind out of All Will Be One. Non-foils going 9 to 13. That's on the back of standard play. In fact, there's more standard-related specs going uh, making an appearance in this list this week than we have gotten used to seeing over the last couple of years. There are some very major standard tournaments coming up, including, I believe, a standard pro tour the next few months. So... Maybe not tremendously surprising, but good to see some movement on related cards. We've also got Gix, Yawgmoth, Praetor showing up in a whole bunch of black decks in Standard out of Brother's War going six fifty to 10 There might be some good opportunities to out on your copies of that if you're like me and you don't bother to sell anything under $10 and something breaking that $10 mark is a really good way to recoup, you know, funds you might have invested into collector boosters or set boosters or what have you. You know, over a year ago, we've also got Rune Scarred Deand Foil Etched. I believe that's supposed to be out of Commander Masters. Etched cards have been draining faster than some of the other treatments, and this uh, card is mostly a Commander card, going five to nine dollars, eighty percent gains over the last month or so. We've also got Flame of Anor Scroll. Uh, non-foils going 7 to 14. Some of the key cards out of the Lord of the Rings holiday release have been targeted over the last month, and this one saw 100% gains. We've also got Urabrask's Forge, extended art out of the All Will Be One CBs going $1.30 to thirty dollars two sixty. Kind of hard to make money on something like that, but it's another example of a standard play card. In this, in this case, mono-red uh, standard decks that are making use of the Forge. Uh, looking for an opportunity to bling out their decks a little bit. Tranquil Frillback Showcase. Uh, I believe it's non-foils, $4 to $8 with the Dinosaur decks. And I think this some version of this card was one of your picks not long ago, right? I think I talked about this in one of my articles. Yes, I got to go back and look. Galahadrim Ambush Scroll version out of the Lord of the Rings going $250 to $5. It's already in 10,000 decks on EDH REC. Cute little card where you can basically shut down uh, an opponent's attack step when they try to alpha strike you or swing in for advantage. And if you have a bunch of elves in play, they can still deal their damage, so it can turn into a total blowout. Pretty fun card in elf decks, but uh, you also get to make a bunch of elves when you cast it equal to the number of attacking creatures, so it doesn't even necessarily need to live in just an elf deck, even though that's where it's going to get.
1: You can do a lot of ridiculous things with this, especially if you play in a a meta where you and your commander buddies uh, all like to play a lot of go-wide decks. Like, this is kind of a nightmare for you and Jenny Faye. Although, uh, if you get some trample going on, then the ambush won't do
0: that much at all. Well, I would run this in Faye as well.
1: Well, I mean, you know, it's good for and good good against. It's a sign of a card that you should play more of.
0: Yep. Curse of Totem, almost all versions have been on the, have been ascending over the last couple months. Sixth edition, non-foils, $10 to $20. All versions just soaring on this card. Hasn't seen a a recent reprint since MH2, and there was uh, relatively few versions of the card printed, which meant there wasn't that many copies total in circulation, and it's finding itself in high demand as of late, battling out of sideboards all over the place in Modern and Legacy. Bloodthirst Adversary Extended Arts out of Midnight Hunt, 10 to $20 on the back of Standard Play, and I think it shows up in Black Red Pioneer builds sometimes. That's another example of if you cracked Midnight Hunt, a, a set with relatively low EV, and these things are pushing $20, you're going to want to go dig those out and get them up for sale. That's a, a recoup point if I've ever seen one.
1: Yeah, there's also some uh, double feature versions running around, but uh, as a
0: Mythic, there would be that much less of all of them. Seaside Citadel Surge Foils out of Doctor Who, 2-4.50. to 450. That's the comes-in-a-play tapped triland, and it's just like the only good version of it. If you're playing, say, Atraxa or uh, Aragorn, for instance, you might want to have this in your deck. And I think it's just more an example of how Surge Foils have been consistently targeted, probably by the same parties for the better part of 12 months. We've also got, also got Dracoseth Maw of Flames Foil Etched. Yeah, foil etched of Commander Masters from last summer. Just another etched card on the move. This one on the back of the Ur Dragon being the second most popular commander of the last two years. This going six to fourteen. Very relatively few copies left. And if you were cracking uh, Commander Masters product, you might want to check if you've got a couple of copies of this sitting around.
1: It's a glorious dragon, and this is the only special version. There's a couple other foils running around. But if you want something that looks a little different, then uh, which has come into play for a lot of the foil etched. A lot of these, it's just the regular art or a foil version, not even an extended art or borderless or
0: nothing. You just get the etched foil for the different frame, and you're off to the races. Streets of New Capenna was a, a set that was relatively maligned from a financial perspective. The collector boosters came out of the gate hot and then dropped, drop, dropped, and they have been available in between you know, as low as 95 to $130 in various sales over the last six months. And one of the ways that you can glean some money out of that is this Topiary Stomper foil uh, borderless going 4 to $10 on the back of a combination of 50,000 decks and EDH rec reporting using the card and also some standard play for that one alongside Jetmere's Garden where... I, I went ahead and got pretty much every copy of that I had in inventory up for sale today after we were talking about it in the ProTrader Discord yesterday because that's one of the lands that is heavily needed and Standard right now and is going pretty crazy on price point. There is some risk that the Fallout commander decks will reprint the Trilands from either Icoria and or SNC. I would imagine the Ikoria ones are in more trouble. But I guess we'll see when we get there.
1: Yeah, we've seen uh, Naya, which is Jetmere's Garden. Uh, there is Sultai, which would, I forget the Zagoth. name of that one. That, okay. Then we have the Jeskai one, which is um, the red. grin and that's also Ikoria. Rogren, that's Icoria, And then we have um, another uh, Ikoria one that is black, uh, white, red. The Mardu
0: colors, which is um, Savai, yeah, yeah. So three of the four are likely Icoria if they're present there. But Jetmir's Garden is both ascending in price now due to this high spike of Standard demand, which will also taper off once people stop needing Standard for the big tournaments. And then you've got the reprint risk directly thereafter. I mean, there there couldn't be a better sell call.
1: Yeah, you should you should get those ready because. Uh, We don't have forever on them, but we do have an increased demand with everybody getting ready for the Pro Tour, the Regional Championships, those fun things.
0: Entirely possible, however, that the versions you will see in the uh, Fallout-related packs will be Surge Foils again. And the art from the SNC Borderless has grown on me. They are fairly handsome cards in hand. And I think if I was... You know, no matter what Fallout art they put a Surge Foil over, I don't think I'm going to prefer it to what I've got already. So I've, ca- I've held held a couple of versions back for my own decks.
1: It's also worth mentioning that Streets of New Capanna will only be legal in standard until uh, the fall set this year in 2024. So you've got about eight to nine months before you uh, it rotates out. And historically, when something is going to be rotating... It starts falling around Valentine's Day, Easter, somewhere in there. So this is really where you'd want to be. I'm ready to, to get out of these if I had any extras running around.
0: Yeah, and, and they were available as low, just regular copies, like $5, 6 7 at one point yeah. for Jet Mirrors. And now you can get out, say, 15 to 20 That's easy exit to it. Uh, Titan of Lit Jara, foil extended art out of Commander Masters, which is thought of as a reprint set, but this is one of the cards that was in the associated Commander decks, and the foil version of these has gone 8 to about $20. There are relatively few left on TCG player. It's in 9,600 decks on EDH Rec, fits in pretty much any tribal blue deck you might want to fool around with. And as a result, I would imagine that You know, this is probably one of those cards that dodges a reprint for some time and could keep sliding up uh, to higher and higher plateaus if it does indeed dodge those reprints for three to five years.
1: I wouldn't be shocked to see it in a secret layer, but I also wouldn't be shocked to see it avoid all reprints until it's like a $40 card randomly. So, you know, it could go either way. Uh, You should have one in whatever uh, deck you can that plays almost all the same creature type. So, yeah, I'm thinking about putting one in my zombie deck right now, as a matter of fact.
0: Gisela, the Broken Blade, borderless out of the secret layer angel deck, I think has this gorgeous double-sided art from Scott Fisher, I think. Uh, going $30 to $80, probably on targeting related to people realizing that angel deck inventory is uh, you know well past its peak. And angels are a relatively popular tribe overall. Certainly top, top 10, I think, on EDHREC. We've also got Mists of Lorian Surge foils out of the holiday release of uh, Lord of the Rings. And keep in mind, this card was specific to the scene boxes, so it was not available in the summer release. And anything like that that becomes an EDH staple but only had the holiday release to lean on is going to be in lower supply overall than the stuff that got the double printings. These foils are going at 9 to 27 as a result. It's kind of a a situational cyclonic rift it's not as clean as rift but it can do some some cute things where you leave a bunch of your stuff on the board and get rid of a bunch of different problems and get rid of all of the uh treasures and food tokens and what have you if i recall correctly and so nine nine to 27 you've got 200 percent gains there and i would imagine it'll see some backsliding and then post up a plateau in the mid-20s
1: the question is, how long are the assorted scene boxes going to be available for? Um, I haven't looked at their inventory on TCGPlayer or any, anybody else yet, but this is one of the cards that people will be chasing because in many respects it is better than Cyclonic Rift. And that's a, that's a blasphemous thing to say, I know, but you can uh, fire this off. The only downside with this compared to Rift is that Rift is incredibly annoyingly and instant so mist is a sorcery but if you're going to play one you might as well play both and there is no other way to get this than the uh, scene boxes
0: i'm just taking a look to see how it has fared on edh rec so far but I'm having trouble tracking it down except to look it up individually it's in 1900 decks so far and I think that's because they are mixing in all of the scene cards right. with the stuff from the summer, and the scene cards therefore are always going to show a lower total until we get, you know, three or four years out, and they've been out for roughly about the same amount of time. You know what I'm saying? So, like, Miss would probably already be at sixty thousand if it had come out in the summer.
1: Let's see. Do you know which scene box this is in, off the top of your head?
0: Uh, I want to say it's in Galadriel's. I think she's blue green Oh, i thought this was uh flight
1: of the thing let's see flight aragorn gandalf and where's the other one because
0: it's mists of lorian right so that ah, that refers to an good elvish point. realm <laughs> let's see and galadriel ah. is bant colors galadriel light of Alinor.
1: If that's the one, i got to go back and make sure. But uh, there, you could get one on TCG Player for 35 right now, uh, shipped. So this uh, won't last long one way or the other at
0: this price point. Are the, are the Surge Foils in the scene boxes themselves, or were they only in the CBS? I don't
1: think this is available in Surge Foil. I've got to go back and double-check. Um, they, I don't remember off the top of my head what the distribution is in the holiday... Edition. I know it's not in the regulars, so I got to go look at what my math of the uh, holiday release is. So before uh, it's definitely that, in surge foil. Okay. Is
0: that a, that a, that's yeah, it definitely is. Uh, let me just see the scene box announcement.
1: Oh yeah, we're talking about the surge foil. Yeah, you're right.
0: They're in, they're foil borderless in yes. the scene boxes, so I think the surge foils are out of the CB's. That sounds right. All right, moving on to Magic Online Movers. We've got Crashing Footfalls, 2.26 ticks to 3.94, 74% gains on the back of uh, being a Tier 1 deck in Modern that has survived through multiple evolutions of the format over the last year. Footfalls has kind of always been there. Magus of the Moon at a Time Spiral remastered, I believe, 7.84 to 15 ticks, 92% gains. Heavy modern play being used to shut down the decks that are greedy on their mana bases. Also, Jetmir's Garden, as we mentioned, is seeing very heavy standard play. It's also won 122,000 decks on Rec since release, so those Trilands are no joke. 2.48 ticks to 5.24, 111% gains. I would imagine it is just as much of a sell. On magic online as it is in paper but there are probably some opportunities to ride it even higher heading into big testing weekends in the near i future. think
1: it's got kind of a little higher to go before i would want to be selling out on magic online but uh, i don't think i would let it go more than another month or two before i cashed in and got out all
0: right moving on over to cards to watch i'm going to kick things off here with a bit of a greedy one jeweled lotus borderless foil out of Commander Masters. Uh, The card in general was being talked about in the Discord today. It was Cyper, I believe, talking to you, and then I chimed in. And this was already on my radar as a, a pick because I noticed, I was hoping to get one of these out of my latest case of Commander Masters and did not find one. Still had a very profitable case with a lot of good cards in it, but didn't see a Lotus. And I had a Jeweled Lotus playmat that Sloan hooked me up with recently, and the art really is just gorgeous on these. It looks fantastic on a playmat, looks great on a card. I had a textured foil that I opened in my first case this summer, and, you know, that's a card I haven't put up for sale yet because it's it's probably got a long-term home in one of my decks, but I've been looking, keeping my eye on these as the probably broadest application mythic with the highest pedigree that came out of this set. People were expecting there might be a Mana Crypt or a Mana Vault or, you know, something along those lines, but there wasn't. It's just a Lotus at the high end of the Artifact Sphere. And this has been drifting up. I mean, if we look at the last six months since release, foils got down to as low as 140-ish or so, depending on where you were buying them. And now, if we're looking at the foils near mint, the lowest price copy on TCG Player is 170. You've got just 21 listings left. So I'm going to call this at like 180 to go somewhere between 230 and 250. And I think that's probably going to be how this levels up. One of the things that protects it is that though almost anything can be reprinted anywhere, and you never know what they're going to throw into a standard subset to help sell it. That's not a really great home for Jeweled Lotus. They they get a lot more value out of saving these for very premium set releases. And there is no premium set on the horizon for 2024 where this makes any sense at all. It's not going to show up in Modern Modern Horizons 3. It's not relevant if they keep cranking out additional printings of Lord of the Rings products. Commander Masters is very unlikely to go back to press for CBs because there's still plenty sitting around in warehouses from what we hear. To the point where they're going to be destroying some. And all of that says to me that less of this is out there than they had hoped. And Jeweled Lotus is still a super S tier staple. So it could be another couple of years before we see another one of these. And if we do, these really good looking foil borderless are probably going to get up into the mid 200s.
1: That seems pretty reasonable to me. This was a card that got ridiculously expensive in the original foil printings. And now you get this super sweet borderless frame breaking art um we know that the non-foils have gone up you know something like twenty dollars since thanksgiving the foils have gone up fifty dollars since that time there is only 21 fin only 21 vendors a couple people have two copies but nobody's got uh, a big wall this is a Chase card from a Chase set for the people who like to play as whales, and picking up your personal company definitely at one uh, eighty-ish sounds right, and being able to resell it for uh, with a lovely gain up to two thirty, two fifty seems very likely in the next year. I'd agree with you. I don't think we're going to see this card reprinted until twenty twenty-five.
0: I think that's very possible.
1: Uh, I'm talking about, we mentioned Flame of Anor. The scroll version had jumped up this week, but you can still find the borderless copies from the original CBs on TCG Player for around $5-ish, five fifty. Uh, dollars You should be able to move this out in the next 6 to 12 months for 10 to $12, I think. It's very popular in two different builds. Uh, you see this in... Uh, Shardless Rhinos. You also see this in uh, a lot of Murktide decks, because especially if people start playing Snapcaster again, this card uh, does everything. It's extremely flexible. It is powerful, and you're, I'm not looking for the holiday copies. I'm looking for people to go for a full play set that match uh, instead of out of the. Uh, holiday editions the scroll versions i'm just talking about the borderless ones and this was all the way up at like 14 dollars early on in its time and it has come uh it went way high it went down some it's come back up some and i think the borderless are right where we want to be in the five dollar range to uh go up to twelve dollars or so
0: Said like mid tier inventory, it does have the scrolls reprint to contend with. On the other hand, if they don't find fresh homes for the Lord of the Rings products, even if they are quote unquote keeping them in print for a while, we don't have, I haven't heard any whispers that CBs are getting any kind of reprint. Because again, there are palettes of that, of both versions, holiday and summer still sitting around so there's there's right. no you know there's no lingering demand where people are tripping over themselves to to chase the cards the hype cycles just moved on so whether or not it's kept in print it's not modern horizons 2 where the entire format of modern kind of pivoted on on having lots of this available yeah 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 so they had every motivation to keep that constantly in print i think the lord of the Rings stuff is mostly edh side with you know three or four exceptions you know you got your lorian reveals you've got your other cyclers you've got the one ring you've got orcish Bowmasters, and a couple of others that are relevant in, in multiple formats but for the most part this is not doesn't look to me like you're going to be hearing about major reprint waves rolling through vendors because I think they've still got inventory on hand. And as a result, you you might well get the breathing room on something like Flame of Anore. It's still kind of up in the air as to whether key cards in modern are going to catch a non-Lord of the Rings-themed reprint right. down the road. I would imagine they kind of have to. It does seem like a like a thing, yeah. But I that could be anywhere from two to five years from now, depending. Yeah, depending on when they 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 put the set booster boxes at a printer or whatever. Yeah, and... I think it's
1: reasonable to think that the Universes Beyond product will eventually get a reprint. Uh, it's not a quick process for them to negotiate another use of the IP. But I think that it would be foolish to assume it'll never get reprinted because this was a wildly successful set and they will want to, you know,
0: revisit and uh, get some some more going on. Alright, so my second selection this week is the Dragon Textured Foils. This is the second most popular commander... Of all commanders. So it's a Traxan number one, Urdragon number two over the past two years, and he's also number six just in the past week. So this is a commander with legs, one of your favorite decks, uh, a deck I, mean, I, I keep yeah. intending to get around to building. And though I haven't yet, I will eventually. And the textured foils are just not in super deep uh, inventory position. The... They came out of the commander masters cbs this summer most textured foils started high and floated low but they have they have been more or less on a you know a mild upswing from lows around 50 dollars to currently being in the mid 60s by market price but the lowest priced near mint foil copy is actually more like 75 dollars. So I'm calling these to go 80 to 120. I I think this is going to be an Edgar Markov type situation where a very fancy version of a very popular commander gets expensive over time. They've just reprinted this in the last six months, so I do not expect to see another Ur-Dragon again anytime soon. Could be, you know, a year from now in a secret layer. It could be three to four years from now. It will for sure get additional printings down the road. But again, based on the product schedule as I see it for 2024, I think this one is safe and it's going to get some room to breathe.
1: All right, so textured foil is not the etched foil, correct?
0: Correct. Textured right. foil uh, has this kind of subtle radial radiance is the best way I can, I can describe it. I opened a couple of them in my latest case. This wasn't one of them. Uh, okay, it's the
1: textured foil of the, uh, the profile of the Ur-Dragon, where he's he's roaring. Yeah, so so there, so there is a
0: borderless foil version that competes directly, but on the, the collector side, right. the people that are really into Ur-Dragon, some of them will become aware that this is one of the rarest versions, and they will continue to buy them up as they've been doing up the ramp just recently, pushing this into position with just 17 listings left and only a handful under $100 already.
1: Yeah, it's gone up $13 since uh, around Black Friday or so uh, where it it spiked up pretty good. My only concern with this is there are, you know, we were talking about etched foils. Etched foils for the Ur-Dragon are down in the, you know, $25, $30 range. So I see where you're coming from that there is this version uh, of the... Card to go for. You've also got the borderless regular foil. Um, there's also the secret lair one, but that's a kind of a, a higher price point. I think that the Ur Dragon is a, a good pickup, especially with this one being uh, having so low an inventory. I'm just worried that this will grow more slowly because of the number of sweet etched foils that are out there. I think this will grow, and I think it's a solid pick, especially if you want to get a sweet version for yourself. I'm just not sure it'll have growth in any kind of a a timely way. It'll be like $2 every three weeks or something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm calling it to, you know, I, I only think it needs a year to get from right. say 80 to 120 given what current inventory levels are like and the other thing about both jeweled lotus and or dragon textured foil there's no discounts on these overseas they're more expensive if anything in japan and europe
1: yeah so there's so, not going to be somebody trying to get some arbitrage going on on us
0: yeah there's no arbitrage just slide in under the under the flag so i i would imagine that ur dragon's probably going to get there what is okay. your second selection
1: My other pick this week is a pick directly related to Murders of Markov Manor coming up. Uh, There is a whole uh, deck coming out, a commander deck, Deep Clue C, which is Bant Colors. It's about clue tokens and card advantage. We know that one of the banner mythics for the set is Alquist Proft, the Master Sleuth, who will turn any clue into a Sphinx's Revelation for you. Uh, So there's going to be a lot of good clue stuff going on and we don't know what's going to be in the commander deck we don't know what's going to be printed however one thing i think we're going to be good on is an enchantment from afr commander which is thorough investigation for two and a white whenever you attack investigate ding and whenever you sacrifice a clue venture venture into the dungeon so having the dungeon ability i don't think they would want to reprint uh the dungeon tokens and so i think this will be a, a pretty safe non-reprint there are no foils of this available there's only the regular copies and non-foil extended arts available and based on the availability i'm picking the uh, extended art ones but i right now you can get these for about two dollars and i think that when clue hype hits and if it's not alquist prof it'll be one of the other commanders in this set in this uh subset in the precon deck one of them will will just be some kind of bant ridiculousness clue commander and i think this card is going to light up pretty nicely you'll be able to buy for two and sell for hopefully around six dollars
0: you also got some commanders like tivet seller of secrets that are already in the market for a card like this sure yeah the investigation specific commanders are, that are in white are going to be able to make use of this as well and we'll see you know these these kinds of things are you look brilliant if you get there it's very <laughs> easy for a card like this to end up overlooked if the commander in question doesn't become popular so right we'll probably know a lot more about the prospects for this once we've seen the full reveals from uh the mkm set in seven to ten days i guess
1: should be pretty soon. Yeah, the full set releases uh, February eighth, so we are four weeks away from that, and we'll uh, we should be getting more previews for that. They're going to give us maybe a week to have fun with Ravnica Remastered before the hype cycle keeps up.
0: Moving on to our weekly topics, we are going to kick things off with a little discussion about the Secret Layer announcement from this morning uh, or yesterday morning, I think it was. Uh, Secret Layer is no longer print to order. So let's talk a little bit about what this does and does not mean. There was a lot of talk on social media with people saying that they're all going to sell out and get scalped and stuff now. That doesn't seem likely to be the case, or at least it will not be the case as the norm. Rather, what Wizards is saying is we're not going to... Because here's what they've actually been doing. When they first launched the program, they were printing a certain amount and then putting it up for sale, and if it sold out, it was gone. After a while, when the program was doing pretty well, they realized they could probably sell some now, some later, and they could hedge their bets by only printing as many up front as they thought they could get rid of, and then printing the rest later. One of the key criticisms of the early Secret Layers was that they took months and months to arrive. Right. So... That put people, some people off enough that they weren't bothering to order at all, uh, or they were canceling orders. So this new program, that or stage two version of events, was that they might print something like 20,000 copies of the layer, pre-sell those. If you were in the first 20,000 orders, your stuff would ship within a couple weeks. And then if you placed a late order in the 30-day order window, your stuff would ship A month to three months later, depending on at what point in the secret layer calendar we were talking about, because it has varied over time how long it takes for the trailing copies to arrive. What this usually allowed the pro traders to do and other vendors is to order very early on good layers and be first to market and get a premium, usually a small premium, but a notable one on just being, you know, within the existing hype cycle for secret layers and selling them to people that forgot to buy them. And then there would be people like me who don't bother to even look at their secret layers for six months or so, maybe more like three. And, (laughs) you know, I don't really care at what point in the order cycle I order because I'm not trying to flip quick flip them anyway. So now what they're saying is they're kind of going back to the original model, which is... They're going to print a certain amount. If it sells out, it sells out. But keep in mind, they also have a much better idea with three years of secret layers under their belt, how many copies will sell on average and how many copies of certain kinds of things like universes beyond versus artist series, etc., sell. And I would imagine what that's going to mean is there will be an occasional good drop that they underestimate and it sells out. But there's also going to be a lot of drops where they're just printing about the right amount or they're overprinting, but by significantly less. And I don't think you're going to see drops four months from now where all six drops are sold out within 24 hours. You might see a little bit of that on the first set of releases where that's the new policies in place because some vendors might get hyper to try to speculate, but I would still think that that will mostly be limited to the best of the drops, where somebody might try to corner the market on a really good drop. But it's going to be tough because you got to spend a lot of money to try to corner secret layers. Say they're say they're they're publishing twenty to forty thousand copies on average, even if it's just fifteen to twenty thousand copies, times you know thirty or forty or fifty dollars a copy. You got to put down some fairly serious bones, and there might only be like ten vendors in the U.S. that even have that kind of money sitting around think that most of the fears are overblown. There's more potential for buyouts now, but the structure of the system based on the data they have means that that's going to be less frequent than people are feared of.
1: Yeah, I don't think there's going to be hardly any times where a drop sells out within the first week, within the first two weeks. Like you said, they have the data. They know how many secret layers the average drop sells. They know how many people buy the the bundles. They know... Uh, I would imagine that the different frame stuff that they do sells better than the uh, artist series, which is always regular-looking magic cards. I don't think that there's going to be very many instances where a drop sells out at all. I think they're going to... No, that's. Uh, let me rephrase that. There won't be any times where Um, somebody, they they launch a drop, and then it's gone immediately. And then everybody has the terrifying fear of missing out, and then you'll see that going for four or five times its original price on TCG Player because people are crazy. None of that's going to happen. We're not going to get stuff like with Mythic Edition on eBay where the website crashes, you order six, you get none. Uh, None of that stuff is going to go on. What is going to happen is they're going to pre-print some number i think your estimate of somewhere around 20 to 40,000 per drop mostly speaking will be around there and people will be able to order as much as they want for the first week or two of a drop and i don't think this is going to do much for anybody besides the folks who tend to wait until the very end to buy what they want trying to see what's in the bonus cards or whatever. Uh, This will impact, like, with a lot of people getting their cards immediately, if they have it ready to go when you order, then there might not be as much of the quick flips going on. But that remains to be seen how much they'll have ready to go. But I think that the main thing they want to do is, A, cut down the waiting time to get your secret layers, and B, they want to... Give it an air of, ooh, you might miss out. You better get yours, and that those are the, the two main things they want to accomplish here, without really impacting the number of secret layers that they sell, because they know how many they will expect to sell, unless it's something wild like we we estimated there was something like eighty thousand copies of the Phyrexian Praetors sold way back when. Do you remember we did that math with based on order numbers? Yeah. So I think that those kinds of layers will be the obvious exception and they should be able to see that coming, but we'll see if if it actually turns out that way.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a big deal for secret layer one way or the other. This is relatively minor change and will probably only affect a, a limited number of drops for the year. Okay, moving on over to our end-of-year wrap-up. This week, we're going to deal with our Cards to Watch year in review. This will cover the period from July of 2022 to June of 2023. And this is a big, huge load of data. This is picks from Travis, picks from Derek. This is picks from me and Cliff and a bunch of the pro traders and overall, the the news is pretty good. It's a pretty similar year to the last year. Anybody who thought that uh, speculation over the last 12 to 18 months has been, you know, very bad or near impossible, is really over overblowing the situation. Uh, I see some a couple of stats here that are a little worse, some that are a little better, but overall, this is, you know a lot of the same thing as we've seen in prior years. Looking over my stats first, I guess, I've got the greatest number of picks overall, which is uh, obviously the hardest to get correct. And also uh, the broadest application of uh, dates, because my dates go all the way back to the full 12-month period. I guess 18 months back from today would be the oldest possible pick here. uh, We've got 115 picks total. If we look at the total cost of every card to watch that I brought up, it would be about $3,106. Total revenue from that would be $3,457.84, so that's about 11% non-annualized versus last year's 18% non-annualized. The If we look at the top two-thirds of my picks, we're looking at... Sixteen ninety-seven total cost, total revenue twenty-five eighty-two, so about fifty-two percent non-annualized versus last year is fifty-eight percent. And then at the top one-third, which keep in mind this is what we usually encourage our listeners to do, is to t- take a look not just at the top one-third of my picks, but the top one-third of, of all picks discussed in any given week. Uh, total cost of 740, total revenue of 1392 for 88.23% gains versus last year's 10771. Uh, also worth flagging that the looking at the non-annualized usually needs adjustment to annualized to get a really clear picture. And if we look at last year's information, for instance, uh, if we were looking at my non-annualized was at 18, my annualized was at 33, my non-annualized for top two-thirds was 58%, and my annualized was 118 last year. Top one-third last year was non-annualized 107, and annualized was 248%. So once you annualize everything, which is basically the process of making sure that everything is apples to apples, that you're uh, if something sells in a month, that's a lot better than if it takes, you know, 12 months to sell. So you, you have to give credit to that in the stats. I don't have those numbers fully worked out, the annualized numbers for this year yet. So I guess we'll cover those next week once I've finished up that part of the spreadsheet. But given what we saw last year, I would imagine it's going to be the same kind of thing. If you look at just non-annualized because of a lot of the picks, uh, come to fruition in less than a year in this model, it, it, your annualized ROIs are always going to be better and uh, I suspect it will be the same this year as well. Looking at my top picks of the year, it included things like Shining Shoal going—I uh, said going two to ten dollars. It peaked at about twelve sixty for the year, five hundred percent plus gains there. Atali Primal Conqueror showcase foils called back in May to go six to fifteen. They got up to about low twenties. Shark Typhoon Borderless out of the Secret Layer 30th going 6 to 15 was my call. It got up to 20 by mid-June, 230% plus gains there. Underworld Breach called go 12 to 24 in Extended Art got up to 34, peaking in March. Other things included Elvish Warmaster, Subtly, Malakir Rebirth, Teferi Who Slows the Sunset, Pyroblast, Grief, Indomitable Creativity, Sliver Legion, and Ulamog the Ceases Hunger Borderless. Uh Overall, it was something like 66% of all my picks went positive within the time period. And keep in mind, some of these picks are just barely six months old and haven't had time to mature, given that a lot of my time frames are predicted at 12 to 18 months as opposed to six. So I would imagine we will have a, a chance at gaining and losing some more money given more time. Total percentage of picks that were at least thirty percent over original is forty-four percent. So you do need to shave off the you know bottom half, bottom two-thirds if you really want to get best results. Looking at some of my worst selections of the year, we have things like Nadir's Nightblade out of Commander uh, Legends going two fifty to ten was my call. It dropped to fifty cents instead. I was. Uh, Thinking that the old border foil soul rings, despite how many were handed out to LGSs, would be able to get 17 to 35, and instead you can get those today for four dollars. Gotta say that's a pretty awesome deal to get old border foil soul ring for your EDH deck for four bucks. Uh, not a bad choice. Called Leisure Shredder foil extended arts to go 35 to 60 when it looked like they were unstoppable, and they are now ten dollars, uh, having fallen out of favor in blue red decks in modern. Couple other things I lost money on included Hall of the Storm Giant, Showcase, Sword of Forge and Frontier, Oil Slick, Awaken the Woods, Foil Extended Arts, Archivist of Ogma, uh, Raska Betrayal Sting, Oil Slick, Lightning Bolt, Hadoken from the Secret Layer, and, you know, a, a, a smattering of other things. I don't see any clear pattern here. Linking the the stuff that didn't go right, other than that it got knocked out of the meta or hasn't had time to mature. More or less the the, the same kind of pattern I would I would expect in any given year. Now going on over to Cliff's information. All right, uh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm letting you talk about your picks. All um, right, let's, let's get into Cliff's data. So Cliff only has 51 selections total, and that's part partially because this period includes the tail end of Travis's time on cast and the entirety of Derek's time on cast. And uh, you know, Cliff had some holiday periods in, in there as well. So he's got a total of 51 picks to my 115. And of those 51, the total cost of those would be 834. 75, the total revenue would be 968.28 for about 16% non-annualized versus last year's 13.49, so a little better. His top two-thirds would be 606 versus 818, so 35% non-annualized. Last year's was about 37, so just a little bit worse, but very, very similar. Top one-third, 191.25 to 351.00 non-annualized of 83 versus last year at 73. And given that most of your picks are at the tail end, I would imagine that once we do the annualized calculations, your bumps on those are going to be uh, significantly impressive, just like they were last year. Because if we look at Cliff's last year, his non-annualized was 13, 37, 73, but his annualized was 29, 109, 319. So even if you just looked at the top two-thirds of Cliff's selections, you had a really solid shot at 100% plus gains, which is frankly about all you can expect from this kind of content. Uh, Relatively impressive numbers. Uh, You want to talk about uh, some of your best and worst selections here?
1: Well, uh, I think that one of the things that I did, especially starting around summertime of this year, was I really started thinking about, you know, I want a target for things. I'm not just trying to get in on stuff that, is good and has gotten cheap because that's a recipe for disaster in the modern day. So my best pick of the year was Historian's Boon in uh, Foil Extended Art. Um, you could I said buy these at a dollar and you could sell at five. They actually made it to eight bucks. So that's a nice little 700% gain. Uh, that was all in the back of uh, Tom Bombadil, who brought up a lot of other uh, sagas and things like that. Uh Klaus Will and Klaus the Unrivaled Ancient. Uh, you know, when dragons were gonna be coming back and dragons are gonna be good again. A lot of uh things that I picked for dragons to be good again, dragons are good again. So, you know, Klaus Will uh went from two dollars uh, up to five twenty five. Klaus the Unrivaled Ancient, ten to twenty five. First sliver, old border foils, uh I picked those to go twenty five to fifty and they went exactly to fifty six. The etched version uh, specifically. I yeah, specifically the etched versions. Uh, I have Ugin, which uh, when we found out Eldrazi were coming, I said, get on this train. And a lot of people made a lot of money on copies. My numbers would look even better if I had just picked regular ones. But even the expeditions, I picked 45 to go to 100, and they went to 88. Uh, there were some other neat ones in here. Um, I got slammed on Sarah Paragon i thought it would go nine to eighteen dollars it's uh it hit uh three dollars thirty cents i thought mono white standard would get there Uh, i thought silverback elder would get some velocity based on uh the monkey decks that were running around that didn't turn out to be a thing a really surprising one and this might be something that we come back to miriam the sentinel worm I thought would go two to seven dollars with dragon hype, but Miriam is currently available for under a buck. Is that still the price? Let's see.
0: Yeah, as of jan- early January. So I mean, that's and that is surprising given how many Ur dragon decks are getting built. Like, right. All, like all, this, all, this all I be... can think of is that people think of it as a commander and forget to put it in the ninety-nine, which is just a mistake. Just a mistake.
1: Uh, you know, Relic of Legends. I thought would. Go a lot further. Uh, Welcoming Vampire out of the silver screen. I uh, picked to go 19 to 30 and it's now 10. Uh, Zerulian of the Claw. Uh, I've made money on Zerulian before, but this time I picked to go 15 to 30. And instead, uh, Zerulian went down to $8. And I believe is still super cheap. The thing that got me the most this year, looking at what I did right, was that... Um, I picked a lot of old border foils, and those ten, a lot of those did not pan out. Um, whether you're talking about Yogmoth, the Thran Physician, Hedron Archive, old border foils, a lot of those kind of things just did not uh, get there. You know, we saw a lot of speculation about retro border stuff, and this just didn't work out, and. You know, I, I I just know that I'm going to focus less on those.
0: That being said, I, I don't really see that as a clear trend in your your negatives here. The clearer trend to me is that a lot of this stuff was made mid-summer and we're only six months out. So, you know, there's there's probably stuff in your red list here that will end up in the yellow or blue, like a, in the neutral or positive, given given more time. Um, but I would say that I, I have also noticed, and I'm sure the listeners have as well, that you, you are trying to pick... Stuff that's timely, that is related to you know trending developments like the advent of vampire decks or dinosaur decks related to Exilion, and I think that's that's likely to be a smart path as long as you can find the things that are going to be bottlenecks for those decks uh, heading into the the respective seasons. The other thing that's worth flagging is we give ourselves too much credit and not enough in a couple of different ways with these stats when we're talking about stuff that. That went up between zero and thirty percent. We generally consider that not to be a success because by the time you pay fees and shipping, you're you're not really getting anywhere. You could just be treading water on the, on some of that stuff. Um, and also, there are situations where something gets up, say, two to four dollars or two to five, but unless the buy list reflected a high level of demand. And was very aggressive during that period you may never have had a successful exit on single copy versions of the card and they might still be sitting in your closet one of the things that we we uh probably are too harsh with ourselves on in the way that i compile these stats is that if something goes down we assume that you're still holding it if it has done nothing but go down all the way until now we assume it's still stuck even though you may well have bailed on it much earlier. So say we call something going to go 50 to 75, but it goes 50 to 25. We, we count that as it being cut in half, even though you might well have gotten out at 40 or 30 or 29 or whatever. So right. th- that's worth keeping in mind um, because that certainly drags our, our stats down. Uh, now the, the, annu- the annualized stuff is still so high that it's kind of neither here nor there, but worth lagging. Now, we can also look at the stats for everybody else. If we look at how Derek did on a relatively smaller set of overall picks, Cliff had 51, Derek had 39. Derek's total was 668 to 768, so 15% on average. So about the same as very, very, we're all within a few percentage points of each other on non-annualized, which doesn't surprise me all that much. If you look at his top two thirds though, he was 481 to 716, which is 49% non-annualized, and top one-third is 107 to 414, 285. So his top one-third was better than everybody else's top one-third, in part because uh, he has less picks, but also Derek was very felt free and preferred to just not table a pick if he hadn't had time to do the research. So he tended to file only the best of the best when something was really front of mind for him and I think that helps as well that in in, in sure. many ways that's kind of the same as saying if you have six picks we tell people you know discard at least the bottom third if not the bottom two-thirds and try to find the very best stuff we talk about every week we have been trying to guide people towards that with some post selection analysis every week when we think of it to push them, nudge them in the right direction but clearly Derek did some of that as well so good for him uh, some of his best picks included Maskwood Nexus and an offer you can't refuse. He got probably a little too much credit on those because they were uh, sourced in the EU prices, like a dollar on Nexus out at five. But reality is, you got to account for shipping and so forth from Europe. So he's probably getting a little too much credit there. Lathro Blade of the Elves, uh, normal frame to go in foil to go two to ten dollars, got up to at least five relentless rats old border some TSR to go one to five got to 260 so one of the reasons his stat his high-end stats are higher is that he had some small ball stuff that looks good on paper but might have been harder to get out of Looking over some of his misses, we have things like Ramos, Dragon Engine Schematic, leaning into the Dragon trend line, down 63% from his pick. Allosaurus, Shepherd, Borderless, uh, Foils from uh, Double Masters 2022, called to go 45 to 80. They're down to 24 now. It's just not that much elf action going on um, outside of Lathral and even Elves and Legacy isn't that big a deal anymore. Halo Fountain Borderless uh, foils have done nothing but dropped despite being a fantastic card in white token decks. 9 to 20 was his call. They're currently available at 6. And uh, don't see any particular trend line other than that his big winners are, the, are was a lot of small ball stuff, which I think affects his stats for sure. Looking at some of the other stuff includes picks from Travis, which were almost universally <laughs> positive. There's, a very, there's only one, two, three, four. There's only four Travis picks in this time period. It was the very last couple of episodes for him, but they were all winners. He had Unbreakable Formation, Full Art, Secret Layer, 225 to 8. It got to 7. He called Varagoth, Blood Sky Sire, Showcase Foils to go 3 to 8. It got to 750. He called Glasspool Mimic, Mimic, uh, Foil Extended Art, to go 6 to 15. It got to 950 on the on the back of the recent Mimic Needs in Pioneer. And then his last selection was Cultivate Secret Layer Borderless Nonfoil, $5 to $12, and it got to $7. So he didn't hit his peaks, but you know they were all positive. We also have uh should call out the Pro Traders that managed to get positive. We have Grand Slam breaks with Battle Angels of Tier, Borderless Non-Foil going 13 to 25. It's uh got to 27 this December. Ender uh, called Fable of the Mirror Breaker Foil Extended Art to go 13 to 30. It got to 26 mid-May last year. Big Hoss had winds of abandoned uh, regular copies from MH1 to go 10 to 20. It got to 15.50 as of June. Jason chimed in with Whir of Advention from Kaladesh to go 2.50 to 7. It got to 3.72. Hard to get out of that uh, profitably. Rayux called Displacer Kitten regulars out of... Uh, CMR 2 to go 10 to 20. They got to 14. And Don Fatney called Attraxa Praetor's Voice emu- uh, Multiverse Legends Japanese version to go 8 to 15, currently at $11. Uh, some misses for the pro traders included Dragline Geo calling Assassin's Trophy Borderless Foils to go 7 to 15. They're currently... They peaked at 9. Joanneth called Hardened Skills Borderless Foils to go 5 to 12. They are uh Peaked at six in May. Benny has called Felware stone etched secret layer foils to go thirteen to twenty five. They've only ever gotten as high as sixteen, and there was a small number of of similar, uh, you know, treading water or miss picks. So. Overall, though, we have one hundred and eighty seventy five for the pro traders, two twenty six out twenty five percent raw. So that's actually better. The best of the picks from the pro traders, or the average picks from the pro traders, were better than ours. Uh, I'm going to yeah. take a little bit of credit for that because I select those <laughs> every week out of the, you know ten or twenty Wee. submissions we uh, select those sir sure.
1: you don't need to take the full credit on that thing i guess i guess that's much. true
0: some, sometimes you have selected them if i've at a town or somebody we uh,
1: talk about it you you're we are like well what's a good pick this week you're like oh how about this one how yep. about that one
0: fair enough fair enough some of that does go on uh, and and ultimately they, they are guy. they the picks do belong to the people that that called them for sure percentage of positive picks overall uh, including travis and the pro traders 84% that's pretty good and 30% plus positive picks, 52.63%. That's, that's very good. Uh, their top two-thirds were 63%, and their top one-third was 95%. So really, if you're going, like, top two-thirds on me, you, Derek, the pro traders, if you can if you can lop off the bottom one-third, you're flying. Like, th- those are very respectable, repeatable numbers so far. You know, things are going to get increasingly tough, Uh you know, moving forward as they continue to push the reprints on us, but I'm, I won't be surprised when next year's stats look very much like this year and the year before.
1: I think I'll be really curious about next year's stats because that would really reflect a whole year of me trying very hard to make picks that have a target in mind. So, like, uh, you know, a clue related pick this week. Uh, I've talked about dice rolling coming up for uh, Mister House in the Fallout decks there's there's stuff coming up that we can plan for and i think that that's where i want to be with most of my you know speculative buying rather than personal buying or just i need these staples for these decks you know because that's where uh, we, i've gotten tangled up in the past and i'm looking forward to seeing you know what these returns are but it's good to know that even this year um, i am doing well and i, I haven't you know, trying to change this around, it hasn't, uh, you know, totally torpedoed me. So, good job, us. Pat yourself on the back, James.
0: A pretty solid year. Always, always room to improve, and we will certainly be looking for for ways to to do so, um, tightening up wherever we can, and trying to get the best of the information from our community out to the listeners who are not yet pro traders. Also, like to spend a couple minutes talking about the success of the pro trader. Uh, group buy program Uh, we organize something like 30 or 40 group buys a year at this point we have the new heirloom edition program that focuses on getting very high-end premium collectibles uh, crafted by artisans into the hands of the pro traders we've done our oubliette japanese puzzle box deck box uh, that launched in October. We did a top secret Black Friday launch that's going to be released next year. We just did a recent textured foil alter thing with uh, Keith from Cthulhu cards and you know all sorts of new st- stuff lined up on the heirloom front. On the sealed product front, we had all sorts of interesting stuff happen this year. Our some of our most successful ones included Lorcana, the very first wave, uh, of that product uh, was obviously a pretty big deal in the TCG world. And we had our pro traders in at five ninety nine dollars a case, which I believe was four boxes each, so about $150 a box. And a lot of our pro traders that were in on that were able to exit well over $300 a box, certainly over $250 after fees. And that's exactly where you want to be on that kind of a program. So, uh, big win there. We also had another one for. Another non-magic product, the One Piece TCG has been totally on fire all year. In our OP05 wave, we had people in on cases at nine forty-nine. I believe that's twelve boxes a case, and I sold my case on eBay at twenty-eight hundred last week
1: after Ooh, holding buddy. it for
0: a week. So that kind of thing pays for a lot of years of pro trader folks. You think that like a hundred bucks a year sounds like a lot, but given the total, the amount of information access to group buys timely spec calls on a day-to-day basis that go far and beyond what we have a chance to talk about every week on cast and just being up to date on the latest opportunities of on all sorts of different stuff online. uh, You really do get your value pretty easily if you're paying attention and you you know, apply a bit of a razor blade to uh, the worst of the options. Some of the other stuff, the Lord of the Rings releases, both in the summer and holiday edition, both were able to make our people money pretty easily. There was also our oil slick bundle deal back And I think it was February, oh, yeah. associated with I All Will Be one. one. Oil slick foils were extremely hot and relatively high to hard to come by for about six weeks after that. And I made a couple thousand dollars just flipping oil slicks locally, which is not something that comes up all that often uh, in my usual MO. And I heard a lot of stories from pro traders that they did similar things, uh, being able to get out of those. Certainly anybody that got in on gift bundles for Lord of the Rings and had access to the foil borderless one ring ended up being pretty happy because the the rings pretty much covered the the free packs in the bundle when all was said and done. And uh, yeah, there, there was also other uh, group buys during the year that that were either equally as successful or at least fun to be cracking. I mean, Commander Masters is, is still a question mark uh, in my mind as to, you know, what's going to happen for the set CV, say, six to 12 months out, because a lot depends on how much of it gets reprinted. But certainly we, had, we just did a recent very cheap buy on those, and I was pretty happy with what came out of my case.
1: I think that the value add of our discord is something that cannot be overstated. Like not only are there chances for everyone to talk about how they respond to my picks and James's picks, but there's a lot of people saying, well, are we ready to buy this? And the hive mind in this particular instance is pretty damn brilliant. They have good insights we don't always need to agree on everything, but we will cover a lot of the angles. And I'm just really appreciative of the community that we've built on there, uh, especially considering like where forums and stuff used to be. This Discord is exactly where you want to be, and it's why we are as you know, delightfully successful as we are. We, we have amazing people who have really great thoughts, and a lot of good comes out of it not just magic related either we give uh travel recommendations there's uh all kinds of uh there's pro traders helping pro
0: traders get access to uh, magic fest specific releases yeah there's been a lot
1: of i'll buy this uh anybody wants some of these i'll get this for you
0: there's still arbitrage helpers in europe and and asia and australia shippers absolutely yep And, uh, and also just like a deepening well of experience because some of the people that are in there now contributing, you know, significantly didn't have all that much experience five years ago, but now that they've been in the blender for five years and have advanced their game as well, you know, both within and without the discord, they're just in an even better position to help newer members. So, you know, as we just added a bunch of new members today that I got through the back, the holiday backlog, And uh, we're looking forward to another great year. So if you've ever thought about checking that out, you want to get on top of your MTG Finance game and also, you know, Lorcana, One Piece, Flesh and Blood, whatever, uh, ends up coming out of the woodwork. This is uh, the place to be. Moving on to next week, I think we will cover... There'll probably be some standard set release news that we got to cover for Mark Manners. There will be... Uh, I'll put these stats through the blender and get our annualized figures to touch on next week as well and then we will do a magic 2023 year in review talking about the best and the worst of wizards decisions product releases scandals and so forth and we'll uh, I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about there.
1: I have scandals. I love, I-, I love, I just love being able to say scandalous.
0: <laughs> so scandalous. All right, folks, uh, where can you find yourself online Clifford?
1: Uh, I don't, I didn't know we got so formal that you got to go full name on me, but you can find me on Twitter at word of commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com.
0: You folks can find me on Twitter at critic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com, including my recent release, Uh, how to deal with the reprint era in mtg finance and you can also find me constantly haunting the pro trader discord i would like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com pro trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year you can get early access to this podcast fantastic articles by the best mtg finance minds in the business low-cost group buys and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering
1: Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Like you said, James, that's it for today, but there's so much to do next week as well.
0: 2024 just getting started thank you cliff and we will see all of you next week on another episode of mtg fast finance